It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Today we have someone, a dear brother, friend, someone I've been knowing many for many, many years, my whole time here in the Baton Rouge area. Uh, he's been uh, like a father, confidant, uh, just everything you could imagine. My attorney, you know, <laughs> he's, been, he's been everything. Uh, he's been a true living legend here in the Baton Rouge and Louisiana area. He have impacted so many young men's lives. He worked with so many different men. He also was our former public service commissioner. We have today former LSU Tiger quarterback, Mr. Jimmy Morgan Field. Welcome to Countdown. Thank you, Lyman. I'm always pleased to be in your company, and I'm, I'm proud of what you've done with your life, and I'm glad to be here with you today. Well, I, I'm, I'm honored to have you because we've been knowing each other for a long time. Uh, Mr. Fields, he still looked like a young man, which he is, but he's <laughs> been, he done had at least 80, 81 trips around the sun. 81, <laughs> 81 that's right. 81 trips around, that's, that's a lot. He still has his great health. Uh, wisdom, the knowledge, uh, he gets around very, very good, and I feel honored just to be here with you. And uh, tell me, where'd you grow up at? Actually, I was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey in 1940. New Jersey? And it was uh, during the war, and uh, the Japanese cut off the supply of natural rubber to, to the United States, so they told the chemical engineers, my father was a chemical engineer at uh, it was Esso then, it's Exxon now, in New Jersey. Y'all got to come up with the synthetic rubber for the planes, the jeeps, and the, the war effort. So they came up with the synthetic rubber to take the place of the natural rubber, and then they transferred half of the engineers to Baton Rouge because the refinery in Baton Rouge was larger and it could produce more rubber for the war effort. Thank goodness my dad was in that group. I was only two years old. So I've been here since 1942, so I, By way of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Now, where your mom and dad is originally from? They, uh, both of them were from the state of Iowa. Oh, okay. And my dad, they met when he was at Iowa State University and, uh, and got married shortly after uh, that. And then uh, I was the first born, and my sister was actually born in New Jersey. And then my brother was born here in Baton Rouge. He's seven years younger than I am. So you have, you have three of you all? That's correct. But you moved here, you was two years old. That's correct. And so you, so Louisiana is your home. It's my home. As far as you concerned. Definitely. All right, so now from two years old, you end up going to all the different elementary, high school. Well, now wait, where did you go to elementary high and high school? Where did you attend this school? I was very fortunate. From uh, the first grade to the twelfth grade, I went to University High School. Then Hold on, University High was back then. <laughs> back, back then it was. <laughs> yeah, University High back then. Okay. It's old. It, it's an old school. It's a, okay. I, I think it's close to a hundred years old, and uh, we met in uh, Peabody Hall on the LSU campus, right by the Indian Mounds, and uh, and then I and then they moved the school over to where it is now on Dalrymple crossing the fraternity houses when I was in the seventh grade. So, uh, you know, from 1946 to 1966, when I graduated from law school, every school day I went to the same campus, 
Same beautiful campus. So you went to LSU for 20-something years. That's right, 20 years. 46 to 66. So now you end up at, in Louisiana, you end up on LSU campus, and you end up playing, you, you was multi-sports guy. You didn't just play one sport. No, I played, uh, well, you know, at small school like University High, uh, I played four sports, you know, uh, football, basketball, baseball, and track. So you was pretty good in track, getting the speed. I was pretty, I was pretty good. I <laughs> think I won a hundred when I was a junior, but in class A. And uh, then I think I, I ended up second my senior year, but my quarter was in my race, and I didn't like to run it because it's so hard, Lyman. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it's a gut wrenching race. But uh, that that was probably my best race was a quarter. So you 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 win that more consistently. That's correct. So what was your best time in a, four, in a quarter? 50 flat. Back then? Back then. Now, what about the 100? I think 10-2 is the best I ran. And what year was that? That was 100 yards, though. 100 see, yards, that's see, right. It, okay, that man. sounds fast because yeah, right, they running meters now. That's true. They, they're running 9-2s now. That's right. They'd be running 9-2s. Right. But that was pretty good, though, back then. Yeah, it was good enough uh, to win. I won Class A uh, uh, up in Natchitoches at Northwestern. They had the state meet. Uh, I won the 100 and the uh, 440. Now, what was your, before we get into what was your best sport? What you thought was your best sport? Football and baseball. So you was a pretty good baseball player? What uh, position you played in baseball? Well, I was a shortstop in high school. and uh, But when I got to LSU, uh, I asked Coach Dietz if I could go out for baseball. And he said, uh, well, I just moved you to quarterback. You need to work. You, I, I can't let you go out. So he didn't let me go out for baseball. And so uh, when Coach McClendon took over, uh, between my junior and senior year after we won the Orange Bowl, I went in to ask Coach Mack. Coach Mack, we, I would love to play baseball this spring. And uh, Lynn Amity, the, the other the go team quarterback, he was a, a very good pitcher for the uh, Tigers. In fact, they had won the uh, conference championship, and he pitched the, uh, he was a winning pitcher in that game. But anyway, Coach Mack told me, Jimmy, I'll let you go out for baseball. But you got to make the start in nine. You can't go there and sit on the bench and miss spring practice. So I went over there and I hustled, and it came back to me. The hitting, you know, hitting and everything came back to me. And I actually uh, led the team in hitting and and uh, made uh, all Western Conference. So I was you, all SEC. You, that was your second or third year. That was uh, between my junior and senior year. So you ended up. After three years of not playing baseball, you went. That's right. You went, went, went out for the LSU team, made the team, made team. and make all conference. That's correct. You might have went pro in baseball if you'd had that opportunity. I might have. I probably would have had the opportunity if I played that last year. But the problem with baseball is I was already married and had a, and we had a little gym, and so. And in baseball, you might you might be in the minors like five or six years before you know you're going to make it. Football, as you know, you go to training camp that first year as a rookie. If you don't make it, well, you can go on with your life. Right. And that's what happened. I went with the Patriots. There were Boston Patriots then. And uh, Richard Williamson from Alabama and I, we were the last cuts. So when I got cut, I called the dean of law school and said, would you let me back in? Law school. I had actually been in law school 
my senior year when I was playing quarterback and safety. That was, and then we had to, and we had little Jim too. So it was a. It was a so little Jim, yeah. you talking about your son? Jim Jr. All right, dude. So now you got married in high in uh, in college. College. To your high school sweetheart. That's correct. Uh, we've been married sixty years now, but we dated. Uh, she was a. I guess I was a senior and she was a junior. So we, and then we dated. She went off to school for a year. And so she got to date other guys. I got to date some girls on LSU campus. And we decided, hey, we want to get back together and, and spend our lives together. So when she came home now, after. Who, now, who is she? Laura Holloway Field. But she was Laura Holloway then. So. Man, when you say when you went to the Patriots, that was for baseball? No, no, that was for uh, football. football. And you played football at LSU. No, you played High school football. What position, position you played in high school? I played a, a fullback. 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 Fullback or tailback. But our, our quarterback's hands were real small, so uh, he he would. Now, uh, who was the quarterback in high school? Terrell Brown. He lives right down the street. <laughs> Still a great <laughs> no, friend. My, my friend Terrell Brown. Yeah, your friend Terrell oh, Brown. Yeah, from United Companies. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, United Companies and uh, GMFS. Yeah, the son is T Brown. T Brown. T works closely with our organization called Pass, that for professionally supported students, which you are part of Pass too. Right. So. I had my. I wore my shirt yesterday. Yeah, your Pass shirt on. Well, represented. Yeah. <laughs> right, did. It's, so. it's a perfect weight when it's just a little cool. It's not cold. Mm -hmm. it, it, I like to wear my Pass shirt. Like but anyway, Terrell Tara would uh, get the ball from the center, and, and my center wasn't good enough to snap it all the way back, so he'd pitch it back to me, and then I, I would uh, pass the ball. That's the only reason Coach Dietz, so he, he came to a lot of the games because we played on Thursday nights because uh, we were uh, most of the big high schools, Baton Rouge High Streamer, they played, and Cali Cal played on Friday nights, so he could come to our game. So he saw quite a few games, so he knew I could throw a little bit. Uh, no, no. So, so you telling me you was a you was a running you was a running back, but the quarterback who threw the ball because Terrell could not throw the ball because he could grip the ball. Right. No, <laughs> he, he he could throw the little jump pass. We had two real good ends, Charlie Kennedy, who was the governor's son, and the governor was in office. Robert F. Kennedy was in office. He was out one of our receivers that. And he had excellent hands, and he was a very and then Bill Alford, uh, who's uh, he's deceased now, but he was like six four, two ten. That was big that in those was days. Huge back then. And so he was the other end. So we had we I had two real good receivers to throw to, and I did run. I did run it a lot. If it was open, I I would run it. So the receivers would get mad at you. Well, why you didn't throw it to me? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, it was, it was a, uh, we had a great year. We, we uh, went to the semifinals, lost on first downs to St. Francis de La Salle down in Homer. And uh, we got a little home cooking down there. They were holding receivers up at the line of scrimmage and they never would, they never would call it. So you, you did not play with the Billy Cannon and Jimmy Taylor? So. Well, this is, uh, I, I didn't play with, with Jimmy Taylor, but in 58, uh, that's when they won the national championship, and, and Billy and Johnny, I think, were juniors. So I, we practiced against them every day, you know, and every, we scrimmaged against them all the time. As, as freshmen, you couldn't play as a freshman back in those days under the rules. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have played anyway. They had so many good players. But in 59, 
uh, Billy and all of them came back. They only lost about three or four guys off the 5018. We had four guys make it off of, of our freshman team. Wendell Harris played in the pros about six, seven years. Mooney Winston played 15 years. Billy Joe Booth from Menden, he played in the Canadian League. Uh, and then Earl Grove played uh, with the Packers and the Steelers. So those, those four guys moved up and played in 59. I redshirted along with every other uh, freshman that had come in in 58. But you, so you had a chance to be on the same team with these guys, like right. Billy Cannon and, and those guys. But also, your dear friend you had a chance to play with too, Coach Jerry Stovall. Absolutely. So how did that? How did y'all foster a, a lifelong relationship? Because to, to this day, y'all are still good friends. That's true. When I didn't uh, want one instant story, when Coach Diesel talked to me about red shirting, this is before, uh, right before the season started in '59. He said, "You know, you'd be stronger, and you and you behind Billy Cannon, Scooter Purvis, and Tommy Neck." So you know, Lil Scooter Purple, you was, you was, yeah. you was buying Lil Scooter You better Purple. believe it, he was good now. <laughs> I was definitely behind him. Okay, then. So he asked me, he said, uh, Jimmy, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, I want to play. And he said, it's not your decision. <laughs> so, answer that question, they're going to make that copy. That's right. He said, uh, he said, when I said I wanted to play, he thought he'd talk me into it, you see. And when I said, no, I want to play, he said, that's not your decision. So I redshirted. And then uh, that following spring, uh, he, he moved me to quarterback. So Within uh, your second year at LSU or your third year? Th second. But I wasted a whole year. A freshman, I played halfback, probably the leading receiver, Wendell Harris was quarterback. Then I redshirted as a halfback behind Billy and Scooter and Tommy Neck. So all that, all that time, I, I should have been, it'd been good if, if they had known they were going to move me to quarterback, to move me to quarterback then, but they didn't. So there was a, it was a big adjustment to, uh, to, to move well, the quarterback. Why, did he, why did, did he say he was going to move you to quarterback? Because you really was a running back. Right. What, what he told me, well, he saw, he saw Stovall was, was good. And then another man just, just died, a teammate, Bo Campbell from Bird High School. He was a very good halfback too, so he he just said, "I got to get you on the field, and uh, I know you can throw a little bit, so we're gonna move you to quarterback." And after sitting out a redshirt year, I said, "Coach, I don't care where I play. I just want to play. I want to be on the field." Now it's interesting that you played for Paul Deesa, but also you played for. Charlie McClendon. That's correct. Who I played for many years later. Right. So Coach Mack was the coach, head coach for how many years that was? 17, 17 years, years, I think. Years. We played under the same coach, Charlie McClendon, but also I, I, was, I played my senior year under your best friend, Jerry Stovall. Jerry Stovall. <laughs> so we got a lot of connections here. We do, we do. Well, see, and so when, when I started playing quarterback, Jerry was the left halfback. We just became friends. He was the guy that we, we were both safety. We both played safety. So you played defense too? I played defense too uh, because Len Amity is a very good offensive quarterback and he had, uh, you know, been in high school, freshman. But 
uh, he didn't play defense. So I, I played defense, and back in those days, they wanted they, uh, they wanted the 11 best athletes play offense and defense. Then when we if we lost the ball, uh, the bandits would come in. The Chinese bandits would come in. If we we had the ball and it was time to uh, you know get the go team in there, they, and they played nothing but offense. But see what an advantage that was is that means we had only 11 guys playing both ways. The next 11 played nothing but offense. So they were specializing just like they are today. And then the Bandits were really third team guys, but they played nothing but defense. So they were very good. They were very effective. Uh, Rive in the Baton Rouge, I was a defensive player. By that time, you only played defense or offense. That's right. And the Bandits became the, uh, the popular name for our defense, the Chinese Bandits. When I interviewed Coach LeBlanc several months ago, he said that the Chinese, the Chinese Bandits back then was like the third or fourth team. They was not the best players on the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's the they still getting all the credit, though. So that was just pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the, uh, the public loved that. It, uh, Dietzel thought of the name as the meanest people he could think of was the Chinese Bandits. <laughs> so you go... He's going to name his team. So he named the, China, the defense of Chinese band. So now you was part of the Chinese, Chinese band or you were on the, on, the, on the first team? I was on the first team. I actually called it the white team. Okay. And then the go team and the Chinese bandits. All right. So now you, that's right. So you played with Coach Lynn LeBlanc too. Well, I was, uh, I was a red shirt when he was there. So I knew Lynn and we scrimmaged against him, like I said, my red shirt in freshman year. So I knew all those guys real well. And I played high school with Johnny Robinson. He, when he was a senior at University, I played right halfback. I started as a sophomore. He was a senior. And he was really the first uh, football player from University High to get a scholarship to a D1 school. And, you know, he just got inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame uh, year before last. You're one of the few from LSU to go into the I NFL it. Hall of Fame. So we only, you know, LSU have put out a lot of great athletes, but very few have made it to the NFL, NFL Hall, Hall of Fame. Fame. So, You're right. So that's truly an honor for, uh, for for Johnny Robinson. Now he's still he's still around. He's in North Louisiana. Yeah, he he uh, in 1980 uh, he transformed his life. The Lord transformed his life, and he was coaching it. Uh, we call it Northeast. Now they call it ULM. Yeah, ULM, where your son went. Right. So Johnny was a uh, he was a chaplain at the jail, and he saw these young boys getting, learning how to be criminals, and some of them are getting abused. So he went to the judges, and he said, look, if I open up a home, would you send the boys, uh, the young boys, to my home rather than the jail? And they said, we'd love to do that, Johnny. So he, uh, he, he got this home. on It's a big home on South Grand Avenue in 1980. He opened it up. And they started referring boys to him, and uh, they can handle up to 30 boys now. They got a big. Uh, they they go to public school. They they have uh, tutors come in and help them. They have uh, like 30 computers, and uh, it's been a tremendous uh, ministry Johnny's had, and, and influenced many many young men. Well, same as I can say the same as you. You have influence, <clears throat> even with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that you helped to. Start that, or you had a, you played a big role in that when I was at LSU. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I was fortunate enough. Uh, Bob Pettit and uh, 
Kerry Guglielmo, Malcolm Patterson, uh, or some of the guys, and uh, we started a chapter of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, it's still it's still going, thank goodness. And so, uh, and uh, actually, that's what I, I, met, I, I made a decision to to follow the Lord Jesus Christ at a FCA meeting at Glen Oaks High School, and uh, how long was that? 1968. 1968. 1968. And, and you've been on that road ever since. That's right, because of, uh, the Dave Simmons, who played for Georgia Tech, and then he played for the Cardinals and the Saints, is a linebacker. He was leading the, the he was the speaker that night, and he preached on Romans 3.23, and it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I knew I was in that all, and I knew, even though I was raised right, everything, I, I knew that I had a sinful nature and uh, was a sinner. And when it said, all have fallen short of the glory of God and uh, are saved by His grace, that I realized that I needed to make that decision. And, and you did. You've been on I did. the road ever since. And you've been the to kind, my best, I have. You know, you've been the kind, humble, respectful man since the day I, I met you. And you've always been there for me, my family, my daughter. You know, you've always done things with us and for us, and I, I truly appreciate that. Now, let's talk about something else. Now, you played football at LSU. You end up playing quarterback. Let's talk about your, some of your, uh, your, high, your great highlight, your days of your great, your great days of LSU football. Well, Lyman, uh, I was a team player. Truthfully, we played, we were so good on defense. Now, the first year, uh, I actually won a starting job. Uh, as a sophomore? As a sophomore, and never, never having played it. But we lost to uh, a Baylor, and then we lost to Georgia Tech in the rain. We lost about it, and we lost to Florida. And uh, so they uh, brought uh, Lynn Amity in, and so he started playing all the offense. I would still play the defense, all the defense. And so uh, I didn't know whether I would actually ever play uh, offense again. Then Laura and I got married that uh, spring, and I went to Coach Dietz, and I said, uh, Coach, I have a chance to work on a farm in Germany, and Laura and I are going to get married, and and uh, I just want to let you know and be gone all summer. And he, he said, oh, you work hard on that farm. You go ahead and go. So uh, Laura and I went over there, and uh, they didn't have – we got over there, and they said, oh, we don't have a job for you, the field couple. We don't have a job for you. So y'all mind going to Denmark? And I said, well, I don't speak German or Danish, so that's okay. <laughs> we'll go up there. So we worked at a campground for three weeks just doing little things around the campground and so forth. And uh, I think Laura washed dishes for the people who worked at the camp. They had a restaurant there. And we, we lived in the top of a lighthouse. Uh, that, that's where we lived. And, uh, on the water? Uh, it was right on the water. We could, we, we could see Sweden on a, a clear day. So we worked there three weeks. Then we picked up a Volkswagen at the factory in uh, Wolfsburg, Germany. Brand new. Brand new. How much was it back then? Twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars. Now, and if you bought it in the United States, it would be like two thousand, but it's only twelve hundred. So I actually bought it for a friend of mine's 
family, John Keene's family, uh, let us buy it. And then we, we drove it. I drove that, that Volkswagen. Uh, for, we had six weeks. I drove it into London, Paris, Rome, and then back to Calais, France, and then put it on a boat and shipped it to Houston. And the, and the Keene family picked it up in Houston. But it was so nice of them let, let us do that. And so, I mean, I wouldn't think of driving in those big cities, a little Volkswagen bug now, but, you know, I'm 21 years old and so forth. And so uh, uh, I hadn't had a haircut the whole year. I mean, the whole summer. And then I caught the bug down in Italy and lost some weight. So I came, I came uh, to see Coach Dietzel and tell him I was back in town. This is about two weeks before two-a-days. And he could tell I wasn't in shape and I'd lost some weight. And so one of my friends was on the coaching staff, Donnie Day. He said when Coach Dietzel came in the room after seeing me, he told, uh, he told the staff, he said, I don't think we can count on field this year. <laughs> But I, I, because I, you had a rough time in, 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 uh, I, I, uh, it ended up it really was uh, I had a real good year uh, I didn't play offense the first game we lost to Rice I didn't play offense the second game we barely beat A&M and then he called Coach Dietzel called me in before we played Georgia Tech and they were undefeated and said you're going to be my white team quarterback so from then on I played uh, you took Leonard uh, Armady plays? I took it. But well, you know, he still was playing on the go team. So he got plenty of, he got just as many snaps as I did. So y'all had two different yeah, offenses? That's right. So we had a go, a, the goal or go? Go. G go team. G-E-A-U-X. Well, they, they call it G-O back in those oh, days. Go. Oh, go. Oh, just right, go. Go okay, team. Go team. Okay. Go team. So now, now y'all had two separate offensive teams. That's right. And one, and then a separate defensive team. The bandits were separate. They came in as a whole unit, you see. And then uh, the go team would come in. If we if we uh, came out of a quarter, they had some rule about you couldn't go back in the game but one time in a quarter. So when we got tired of playing both ways, uh, if we if we had the ball, they send in the go team. If we lost the ball, then they send in the bandits. And, but you couldn't go back in. Once you couldn't go back that in quarter. that quarter. That, that's interesting. It was. But see, the, the advantage it was, everybody else is playing 22, 23 guys. We're playing 33. So not only did everybody, 33 guys knew they were going to get to play a lot of football every Saturday. And so it was good for morale. It was good for practice. And we wear people out. I mean, you know, we're playing uh, 11 more guys. We're playing three teams, plus we weightlifting. Alvin Roy didn't get enough credit. I used to talk to Coach Dietzel about that, but he, he, he took Billy Cannon uh, when they, from their junior and senior year, had them all weightlifted at the Struma High, High School. And so when the coaches saw that it didn't make Billy tied up, he was still athletic and so forth, and Taylor was and Johnny Robinson, and so we put in a weight program before anybody. Nobody in the conference had a weight program but LSU. LSU was the first one to first implement one. a weight That's program. That's right. And because so of Johnny Roy. Johnny because of Alvin Roy. Alvin Roy. And Alvin was the coach of the uh, weightlifting team, U.S. Olympic team in 1960, I think. But he had a studio down on Oklahoma Street, right off between Nicholson and Highland Road. And uh, 
and uh, he, he really should have gotten more credit because because we were weightlifting and playing 33 people every week we, we, we would wear people out we were stronger and and uh, were playing more so that, that contributed to uh, a lot of our success now you also had your dear friend Jerry Stovall that played both ways too or Jerry absolutely so he was a great defensive back and a great running back that's right he was all-American he was second runner-up in the Heisman Trophy and a great friend and and sometimes I'd get in the huddle. See, back in those days, the quarterback really did call the plays. I would call about 90% of the plays. So we'd be, it may be third and three, and I knew they knew I was going to run Stovall. I said, Jerry, you got to get it. We're going, we're going. With, uh, we had an off-tackle play. They called it green. Where I would just, I'd pitch, it, pitch the ball back to Jerry and then lead him through the hole. They'd block the wing back and the end with double team. And I'd go around there and look for the middle linebacker. You had to block the, the linebacker? The linebacker. Whoever the quarterback. was that. It's quarterback. <laughs> they would never dream of doing that now. <laughs> no, they get hurt now. That's right. So you was a you was a quarterback, running back, and a blocker. That's right. Coach that, Stovall had that good of a speed, or he was just a, a good shifted type running back? What no, he, he, he was back? just a uh, – he never gave up. He had good speed. He wasn't uh, – extremely fast but he was had good speed but he was just tough as nails he just I mean they'd hit him and another guy hit him and he would just he just keep going and and uh, he was hard to bring down and he was a great safety he and I played safety together and it was a it was a, a bond we bonded real well and I always admired his uh, outspoken Christian faith he was very outspoken about it. I was a little more subdued but he was he was really uh, out front uh, with his Christian as a college uh, player. As a college player, he sure was. He he was taking a stand for his belief. That's right. Then. Back then, when he came to LSU, we have these dust bowls where the uh, red shirts played the freshmen on Mondays. Uh, we tell him, "Hey, this 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 is for nothing, man. Don't you slow down?" <laughs> but he was just a he was just a hundred percent every play. No matter what he was running, tackling. No. Well, that says a lot because that, as a coach, my senior year, he was, he became our uh, after Charlie McClendon was removed, he became the, the head coach my senior year, and he went hard. He expected the best out of every player, every dollar. That's right. But I see why now. Yeah, he was like that. He got the best out of his ability, and he, and then he goes on to play nine years with Larry Wilson and being his fellow safety at the Cardinals. So he, he was a great, he was the best competitor I ever played with. I'll say that, the best competitor. And, uh, and he did, just never give, gave up. Never, never gave up. He's just a hard worker, but I mean, he worked us hard. He expected top notch. I mean, he was just a great coach, a great man. Now, at the time, we had a little issue with the, the religious stuff because, you know, now, he, now, like you, I can't say he did practice what he preached. But you know, when you're a player, you I used to having a little fun. Right. You give, you give it all on the field, but sometimes <laughs> you want to go enjoy. You know, we in college, you don't want to enjoy yourself too. Right. And, uh, right. You know, he just didn't. You know, that wouldn't. He wouldn't much on that kind of stuff. He wanted to kind of have a tight rein on you. Right. Right. I was a little more liberal than Jared as a player, as far as after game parties and stuff. You know, that that was a. Uh, uh, I thought that was part of being a leader of the team, you know. 
is to uh, you got to be close to all your teammates and so forth. So uh, I, I was a little more liberal, you might say, on so, that in that regard. But you, you didn't mind going out and having a drink. That's right. <laughs> Go out and have a few beers. You go party with the, with the guys. That's right. Were y'all doing the prayer bowl back then, too? I don't think we did a prayer bowl. Oh, okay. When I got to LSU, they were doing the prayer, prayer bowl. And I never went to one. The first prayer bowl I went to was this past summer where I saw you at when uh, Darren Day and uh, a bunch of guys put that together. And uh, that was pretty good. That was well attended. That was. That was. And, uh, Coach, you, you brought Coach Stovall. Y'all hung out with the, with y'all players, with the players. And right. That was pretty nice. Now, you were telling me a story one time that when you got married, when you finished school, that you and your, you and your wife, Laura, went. When y'all, when you, 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 to this day, you don't, you, you are, y'all both are vegetarians? No, i tell you what, we, uh, in 19, like I say, I, when I got involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in 1965, no one had ever asked me to make a commitment to the Lord. I went to the Methodist Church, and maybe they said that, but I never heard it. I never heard them say, well, you could have a personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, when I made my decision in 68, uh, we decided to go to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes a conference in Rome, Georgia, and they had a cardiologist that came there, and he would meet with some of the he would meet with the adults at night, and he told us from the autopsies of the, the Korean War dead and the Vietnamese War dead, the young Americans had the beginning of cardiovascular disease, of heart disease, and he says because of our diet, you know, he said. You, you should be limiting your intake of uh, bacon, uh, milk, eggs, and you should be eating more vegetables. And, and uh, so I came back in 1969. That was revolutionary. It's, it's more, it's popular now uh, to be a vegan or pescatarian. But back in those days, people, they were teasing me. But from 69 on, I knew what I should be eating. Well, I'd search all over the, the city to get whole grain bread instead of that uh, instead of white bread, you know. And uh, so in the sixties, you was eating whole grain bread. And I was eating brown rice, and, and sometimes the kids didn't like it. But I go in their homes now; they eating brown rice, they eating healthy food. Brittany's uh, more of a health nut than I am. I mean, so that that was a blessing to know what I should be eating. Now, we, didn't, we don't stick to it 100%. We love to eat fish and vegetables, but we, we don't eat near as much red meat. We eat more chicken and things. These are love those buffalo wings you serve. Yeah, y'all was a great supporter of them. Well, I appreciate they, that. They were good, too. Brittany said that's the best she ever had. She, she told me that this morning. When at I that time, I was, it was the only. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah, that's now, right. So. so so that that's that's what started me on. Uh, because you heard a doctor. And he called it vascular. Yeah. Talked about the, when they did uh, autopsies on the bodies, they saw that the American men, not the Vietnamese. That's right. Had an early stage of what you call it again? Cardiovascular, well, heart disease. They they they, they was on their way. On the way, and they were 22 years old, 23 years old, 18. And that's from eating a lot of meat. Well, just eating the American diet, just eating the Western okay. processed processed foods and and canned foods with a lot of sodium in them, 
And he said the Vietnamese, who were there, they were eating rice and uh, vegetables. vegetables and fish, they didn't have they didn't have it. So, he, but he said, in America, those who have the gold make the rules. So the Cattlemen's Association and the dairy industry were so strong, a lot a lot of that didn't come out till later. You know, now now we know that whole milk and too much red meat. Is not really good for us, but back then, it, it, you know, it, they didn't know. We didn't know that the public didn't know it. But uh, I'm pleased to see that all that's come out now, and people, uh, people, some people are complete vegans. We're not. Uh, I eat a lot of fish. That's called a pescatarian, I think. And, and I, I eat meat. If I go out somewhere and they serve a steak, I'll eat it. But not something. Not, but but in the kitchen. Not my regular diet. Not my regular diet. No, and when we try to eat uh, st stone ground bread, Ezekiel bread, or Ezekiel muffins, or sprouted bread, just healthier things. When I grew up, uh, you know, in a small town of Franklin, we ate fresh vegetables basically every day. Like my daughter, like, why you eat so much beans and rice? I, that's <laughs> that's all we ate. You know. I didn't know what a steak was. <laughs> I mean, we ate now we ate, ate some pork chop because we right. they, they would kill a, a hog. Oh yeah, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, so we got some good. But meat, uh, unless now my grandmother they would cook with meat. They would use it for seasoning. Like we would go to the store. That was like a little corner store called Marie, uh, and we would go to the store. And my grandmother said, "Go ask Miss Marie to send you." Whether it was uh, the chicken feet, or the chicken neck, whatever part they would, they would, they cut off the chicken and, and would throw it away. Throw it away. <laughs> so we would go to the store and collect it and bring it to my grandmother, or you know, and they would cook it. And that was the only meat you would basically have in the food because we had a lot of fresh vegetables like green beans, you know, black eyed, just, just okra. I bet okra, you had okra, okra on a regular. On a regular, regular and, like my children can't stand okra. One of the <laughs> best. Spinach and okra are probably one of the two best vegetables uh, for you. Exactly. And, uh, but that's all we ate. So when I got to LSU, and you know, it, you know, the day before the game, the day of the game, huh? Or the day before they gave you the steak. Yeah, yeah, in the morning. If you had, yeah, yeah, the day of the game, the they game gave you the big steak. steak. And I looked at that big old piece of meat. I said, well, oh, I don't want this. So <laughs> what happened when the, when the players started, a lot of the white players would come sit by me or oh, they started asking me, uh, look, you eat that meat? Because <laughs> they knew I was going to give it away. Because uh, I did not, I mean, that was like, what I'm going to do with all that meat? So, uh, but I eat more meat now than I did back then. I wouldn't even eat much meat. A steak is like, you know, if I, if I went and got a pizza, my friends would get mad at me. I would order a pizza with no cheese because I didn't like the taste of cheese. Right. Because, you know, right. that's just something that, you know, we ate food in a certain kind of way, we ate certain certain kind of, they cooked it a certain way. Like a lot of cheese was not eaten where I was at, and particularly like red meat. You know, it didn't, to see a steak that was red, that was like, that, that's not even cooked. <laughs> <laughs> so so we didn't eat a lot of meat. So that's what probably would help me, because we didn't eat they a lot of did. meat. They probably did. They probably did, even though didn't it, know any better. Yeah. But we had drank a lot of milk, because at the time they started, you know, like I said, it, they promote frosted flakes with milk and those kind of things back then. So, well, uh, milk has corn a lot. Corn flakes, really, just regular corn. Yeah, that's flakes. right. 
Well, you know, they used to say uh, when I was growing up, uh, you got to have uh, drink milk to have strong bones. Right. So, man, I we drank milk all the time, you know. So, and, so you say that with the truth? No. <laughs> I, th I think, well, it does have calcium in it. But come to find out the last, the last 10 years, uh, we don't we don't hardly ever have any whole milk in the house. We have almond milk, uh, oat milk, or soy milk, and uh, just to get away from the animal protein and right. so forth. So, you know, I think people are more educated now. Uh, the diet is really important. Yeah, because a cow eat grass. Exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly. A, you know, they don't eat nothing. They don't eat other animals. They don't. They eat just the, the nature. They eat from nature. That's right. And they produce a, a great product. They do. <laughs> so now, now we got to go back to this. I want to get get a better understanding of when you say when you, when you started traveling, and you went to Rome, Georgia. So I, first, I thought you went to the country of Rome. I did. Oh, you did. Oh okay. no, no, for the FCA. Uh, Conference. I was in Rome, Georgia. Okay. Now, also, you was what you what you call that Peace Corps or something? No, it was a uh, American Student Information Service, and they would get uh, students jobs in Europe, and then you'd fly over for almost nothing, and uh, and, and the plane was so slow. We we uh, flew to New York, and we had to fly to Greenland. You, it, we did like Lindbergh did. We you couldn't just fly straight across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. But it was a good uh, economical way to get over there. And so that's how we ended up getting over there and having a job for three weeks and then touring for, for six weeks, you know, so. That, that, was your, your, one of your first, that was your first trip to Europe. A lot of players Absolutely. Did, a lot of players would do that or you just. No, that was unusual. It was just my wife's family wanted her to go to Europe. And, we, and so we promised her parents two things. Number one, she'd get her, she'd get her degree. And she did, and uh, and then they gave us a choice: you want to have a reception at the country club, or you want us to help pay for a trip to Europe. We said we, <laughs> we want to go to Europe. <laughs> I mean, I've been to country club. I put in time. That's okay, right. Man. And so, uh, so you're telling me that your wife helped give get you some give you some culture. She exposed. She you. exposed me to some culture. I guarantee you, she did. I went. She I walked through many a museum with her. And she would, because uh, she was a big history buff, and she knew all those things. And uh, so we, we in Europe, they have some good customs. They, they, uh, they're a little more relaxed than America. That's they're not as productive, you know. Because like in uh, Spain, they might sleep for two hours. They might close the shop at twelve. They don't open at two or three o'clock. You know, they, they're not driven like Americans are, which helps us in the global economy, but it uh, also puts stress on people, you know, to produce and, you know, work hard and have a good work ethic. So uh, you, you learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, on our trip to so, Europe. So you're saying the Europeans were lazy? I'm not saying they're lazy. They're just not, like when you, when you get a job in France, you get six weeks vacation the first year. I mean, you know, you got to work up a long, my dad worked at Esso. He finally did get a month or six weeks, but it was after 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. But but uh, immediately you get that in France. That's the law. Now, now you end up traveling to Europe 
I thought that you have used like in the Peace Corps. So you saying that you never was in the Peace Corps? Never was in the like Peace Corps. So now when you, when you when you came back from Rome, Georgia, that's when you ended up getting going to law school, or you that was before that? That was I, I was out of law school. I got out of law school out? and okay. I got out of law school. Well, when I got cut by the Patriots, I called the dean of law school and asked him to let me back in. He said he would. So he was already in law school. I was. All, I had started my senior year in law school. I took nine hours in law school. No, yeah, nine hours in law school and, and three or four hours in business because I had redshirted. So I, I was real close to graduating. So I only had to take 12 hours to graduate. But then I decided I was going to play pro ball and uh, and get my master's in business administration because I got my undergraduate degree in business. Well, uh, when I got, uh, I had nine hours, I got nine hours on my MBA, but when I came back, I said I really knew that I really wanted to go to law school, so I asked Laura, you mind going to work and putting me through law school, and she said she would, so. So she, she went to work, put you through law school. That's right. That's pretty good. She, she, uh, she got uh, putting him through a PhD, putting him through degree. <laughs> <laughs> So now y'all was able to work through that process, and I know you thought you was going to have a, a long professional career. Were you drafted, or you uh, walked? Yeah, I was drafted like back in those days. I was drafted like in the twelfth round. They had more rounds. They drafted more they, rounds. They Twenty something rounds, I think. I yeah, think. yeah. So you you was you was drafted in the twelfth round to by Green Bay. I was drafted by Green Bay Packers mm -hmm. and uh, the Boston Patriots. Well, Green Bay had won about three world championships, and they had really good safeties. Because I was drafted as a safety, I wasn't drafted as a quarterback. So, uh, so I went to Boston because uh, I thought I had a better chance to make it. But they only kept 33 people. You know, now I think it's 53 plus a five-man practice squad. But in those days, it's only 33 in the, in the American Football League. So I made it to the uh, final cut. And uh, Richard Williamson and I were released. He was from Alabama. He and I were released, uh, and that's when I called Laura and uh, came back to uh, go to law so school. You looking forward to a long professional career? I was, but you know, I look back on it now, and I see the uh, toll it's taken on my teammates, Mooney Winston and Wendell Harris and others. Uh, and you've got friends. It's the toll you take on your body playing that long with people that big and strong it, it really was a blessing because uh, I only played nine weeks I got back in law school uh, I know now it was, that was what was best for me the Lord knew uh, I was very disappointed because everybody else was making teams and here I get cut but it turned out to be in the long run it turned out to be his plan was best for me if you don't fail in life, you're not taking enough risk. So uh, I always felt like that as long as you, like when I got benched and had to come back and win my position, well, that, that's what it, life's about. We're all going to get knocked down. And, and I learned some life lessons in football just like you did. You know, you're not going to always come on on top. And then here you develop cancer in your, uh, in your uh, thigh area and and have to have uh and i remember the physician want to take your leg off all the yes. all of them but dr etta king and gainesville you remember that 
Oh yes, indeed. And so we, I got a couple of friends together, and we, and we flew you down there. And Dr. Eddie King, bless his heart, he 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 did all that work. And I don't think he charged you, did he, Lyman? But no, he charged the Falcons. <laughs> No, we charged. That's right. Charged the foul. They they had to pay for that. That's right. Well, that's good because they wanted to amputate your leg. Oh yeah, no question asked. He was the only physician, if I remember right, that said, "Look, we can save your leg." Me, he said, "No." He said, "That tumor have not sprayed it. If it's still contained, you know, with that night before he had to sign the papers, all these papers to, because when it depends on where the tumor was at, they wouldn't wake you up." To let you say to make a decision, so I had to sign all that paperwork the night before. Oh, I see. And uh, like if they have to amputate it, they don't have to do it. But it worked out where when I woke up that morning, I saw my foot, and I ain't never been so happy in my life. Oh, I bet so. <laughs> you know, cause I knew my leg was still there. I just and I, I said, "Thank you, Lord." I went back to sleep. I, I was able to rest <laughs> after that. But I'm surprised you remember Doctor Interking. Oh, absolutely. I talked talk to him on the phone. You know. I said, we'll get him down there. And he said, well, I'll, I'll do what I can with the hospital. And I guess the Falcons picked up the rest of the bill. But uh, I was just so pleased that he was able to give you hope and, and that you, when he put a steel rod. Right, well, I couldn't even, I wouldn't even have been it anymore. Been anymore, but at least you had your, your, your foot. And uh, I've always admired you because you never let that slow you down. You just walk around and you, kept your upper body in shape and you were lifting weights and I always, always admired the way you kept in physical condition even though you had a, a disability, mm -hmm. but you never let it affect you. But, but that's why you mean so much to me because you have always been there for me and you and so much support, just so much encouragement. When you know that, you knew as a young man, you could only imagine what I was going through. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go from one place in life to, like, you're at the bottom, and you, you don't know which way to go, which direction. You, I come from a large family. Uh, my dad was deceased, and it was just it was a tough time. But people, you know, people like you, uh, uh, Jerry McKernan, and uh, of course many others, uh, offered me a lot of support. Even I mean, when I when I decided I was going to start a uh, janitorial service, right, right. And I went over there by Mr. Norman Dumont. He gave me some work, and that got me started in the janitorial business. And of course, I had to use you and uh, Jake Netterville. He was my attorney. <laughs> he was my accountant, and y'all was always there for me. That that meant that meant the world to me. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what God wants us to do: love one another, and uh, you know, be kind to one another. And and uh, I I've been blessed, and uh, I ought to I ought to bless everybody I can. And, your life has truly exemplified all of that and much, much more. Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, There's a man that I think that, to me, I've never heard so many men speak so highly. To this day, when you, when you speak of them, they almost ha have tears in their eyes. Herman Lane. Oh, man. <laughs> Herman Lane. Oh, I love Herman. Do you know in the... Uh, they asked me to do a prayer for the football reunion, and and I go I go back over the memories. And when we were hurt, we went to see Doc Broussard. When we were hungry, we went to think of Brother Ike and Blue, and a little bit. And and then I, I said something about, and we never forget the man we all loved, Herman Lang. Now tell us who Herman Lang. Herman Lang was uh, 
probably the only black staff member on the LSU football staff. He, he was really a staff, football staff. Staff. He, yeah, he worked under Marty Broussard in a training room. And like he, but he knew the players. He wrapped, he wrapped our ankles. So he knew how we would tell him things that we might not tell the coaches. And he, he would go tell the coaches, look, their legs are gone. You know, you got to ease up on them, you know. I mean, he was our advocate. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, he, he could tell, you know, cause we, we'd tell him things, you know, I did, we can't go anymore, you know, we can't take any more of these two a days, you know. And he would go communicate that to, uh, to the coaching staff, now, you know. Now, now, how did Herman Lane end up on LSU football staff? Back then, the only brother on the football staff. That's right. I, you know, I, I'm not sure how he, uh, how he got on, but I just know he was revered by everybody. Now, he did smoke, and I guess that's what got him at a young age, cause, and he was diabetic. And I knew his, uh, his wife, Naomi. The best thing that the National Health Club has ever done, in my opinion, is we built a home for Herman Lang. He lived, he had a little uh, wooden house on terrace and we raised enough money to build a brick home for he and his wife, Naomi. I was so proud to be a part of that. Okay. I was so proud to be a part of that. Yeah, he, he didn't live long though. He, he, uh, no, he lived there a few years, but uh, he, you're right, he did not, I think he died, uh, he was young. I remember going to his funeral service. Coach McClendon was still coaching. But uh, we, we all loved Herman. I mean, I mean that, that, and I've been, I, I didn't know, I've heard Herman Lane name when I first got to LSU. And I heard about Herman Lane, but I never knew who Herman Lane was. Years ago, when I had a magazine, you came to me and said, you know, we need to do a, you need to do a story on Herman Lane. And we, you would, I said, okay, what are we going to do on Herman Lane? You was, you, was, you was just starting to do some research. Because you wanted to put all the information, you wanted to find out more about his family, right? And right. Thing, but we, we never got to that point, that place though. But you came to me about doing the story, and you wanted to get Jerry Stope, Billy County. You wanted to get everybody involved with that story. That would, that would have been a really big story because you wanted to honor him. You wanted to do absolutely. You wanted, I think you wanted the Air Club or somebody to honor him, and you still want like to see that happen. I guess I would, I would, because those those guys that went through there. We'll never forget him. Never forget Herman. I mean, what, what did he do to have that that kind of impact on the whole whole team year after year that these guys still talks about? I read Billy Cannon's book. Billy Cannon talked about, about him. He he uh, he was compassionate, and he uh, he was just perceptive. He could just see things that maybe the coaching staff couldn't see, uh, and you know he would he knew. Uh, I remember he told uh, Kerry Guglielmo one time, and we were playing Ole Miss. Kerry was on the sideline for some reason. Herman said, you got to be a real man to be out there tonight. Because <laughs> it used to be, a, it, it was like playing Alabama is now. It was a, it Ole, was a, Miss. Ole Miss was really. Ole Miss and Mississippi State was tough. They were tough. They were tough. He said also, he, said, he had to have a level of perception. Because he said one night you had a game, and what he told you? I got knocked out of bounds uh, right on at the goal line. I came off the field. He said, "You snake bit." <laughs> <laughs> I 
I couldn't get in the end zone. <laughs> he couldn't get in the end zone. Couldn't get in the end zone. <laughs> he told you you were snake bit. So I was snake bit. <laughs> <laughs> but y'all had more respect for Herman. I ain't gonna say more. Y'all, y'all respected him just as much as y'all respect the coaches back then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean that that's just interesting. Yeah, he did. He endeared himself to people because he was he was just kind and and uh, humble. But he was he was uh, he was smart in his own way. He knew he knew what was going on and what was going on inside the team. You know, with, if there's any friction or anything, you know, he would always kind of work that out. And he was worried about me when I came back from Europe. He said, "I didn't know whether you're gonna make the two days." You know, <laughs> uh, he, it was he was a good man. That, that, a good that, man. Now Bruce saw another one that was tough as nails. Herman was the only one that could, could put Doc mm-hmm. in place. That's right. He could, he could go and talk to Doc. Nobody else could, could touch Doc Art the way Herman Lane could. That's right. That's right. They were, they were, they were very, very, very close. Very close. <clears throat> so Herman Lane had already, was already there when you got there? Yes. So, you he know, had been there a long time. Yeah, I bet he had been there 20 years when I got there. It already been that long. I think so. I, at least, I don't know. Somebody, one time his uh, nephew called me, and um, they wanted to get him in the Hall of Fame, but uh, he didn't. He didn't have. He doesn't have a degree, of course, from LSU. Well, that don't but, matter no more because uh, what his name? Put, Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich. All of he got a statue. He got a statue. Yeah. yeah. So. so I know. I know Coach Stovall, and I tried to uh, to promote that. And, it didn't. It didn't go anywhere. But I would like to see Herman recognized. Maybe we can figure out something that we could do before, before we pass on to honor his legacy. That that would be good. Because I know you truly reverence Herman Lane. I don't know him at all. Because I, I think no, because he was already gone when I when I when I got to LSU. You probably was. <clears throat> he he'd already passed on. And you see, I, I knew Naomi, his wife. And I would go by and see her after he, even after he died, I would check on her, maybe try to do something for her at Christmas or something. But uh, did he have children? He didn't have children. Okay. That was a sad thing. He didn't have children. But but he grew up right there in South Baton Rouge. You know, I know, I know. He lived on Terrace Street between Highland and Nicholson, on the south side. And and uh, if you go, that's the only brick house on that block. But she's she's no longer here. Right? She she's deceased too. Now, is is L A N E or L A N G? L A N G. Lang. 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 I don't. But he he was revered. He was revered by all. Eighties or nineties, you decided to run for political office. I, I never saw you as a politician, <laughs> so that was interesting when I heard you know you were going to be running uh, for office. Matter of fact, you ran for the same office that our former governor. And deceased now, Miss Kathleen Blanco. Right, right. So you ran for her position. That's right. When, yes. Ka- when Kathleen got elected lieutenant governor, people had been asking me to run for office for a few years, and Lord never did want me to. And she was right to children growing up. But I was 56 then, and the kids were all grown. And I, I had been practicing law before the commission. I knew, I knew what the rules were. I knew what they did. And it, that they regulated utilities and so forth. And having played quarterback at LSU, 
in, in some good years, I said, you know, I have a chance to get elected because uh, Doug Morrow got elected DA, Pat Screen had been elected mayor. So uh, uh, my daddy always told me to give back, and he was a Boy Scout leader for 13 years. And I just thought it was time for me to, to give back. And I, I could still practice law. That was one another thing. I didn't have to give up my practice. I could still practice law. And so I decided to run. And uh, Laura wasn't real happy about it. But once, once it got going, she was terrific. Yeah, you she, support you needed. She supported me. And, and what year was that? 96. And you won the first time out. That's right. It was close, but I won. And I had a friend, I ran across someone a few weeks ago who spoke very highly of you. Is that right? A young lady now by the name of Irma Dixon. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew Irma, yeah. yeah. I, I nominated her for chairman. She had never been allowed to be chairman. She was never the allowed to be, what do you mean? I mean, never, never, it takes three votes to be chairman, okay. but she had never gotten the votes to get chairman, so she got she got to be chairman while so I was. She was on also there. a public service commissioner with you. Right. She was out of New Orleans. Out of New Orleans. But she spoke very very highly. Didn't she? I'm, I'm glad she to hear that. Did. I I liked her a lot. Yeah. She was good, and and I knew I had a lot of African American friends, and you know I had you and Franklin, I had Dalton, I had Representative Greg Lafleur, and all. You know I knew that uh, y'all knew I would be fair. To everybody, and so uh, I, I said, I'm gonna, "I'm gonna go ahead and try to run. If the Lord wants me to make it, I will." I, I did. Served 16 years, and then 16 years. 16 years. Nobody knows that long. Man. Yeah. Then I stepped down. Uh, Laura said that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the Lord, Laura. Laura, Laura. <laughs> Make sure y'all get this clear. clear now, yeah, that's say, right. Not the Lord, but no, Laura. <laughs> his wife. My wife. <laughs> you had enough, but that's, that's right. Old, huh? So y'all work quite quite well together. Yes. And y'all have uh, how many children do you have? Four and fifteen grandchildren. Fifteen. Any great? We don't have any greats yet. Yeah, so what? What are the ways? So you you eighty-one. So you know you you gonna be around long. You ain't going away anytime soon. So uh, I'm not planning on it. But I, <laughs> I don't know when the Lord will take me, but that's that's why I keep trying to do the right thing. So he lead me down here a little longer. Is there something else that you like to share that we might have overlooked, didn't didn't focus on? Lyman, I just know uh, I appreciate your long-term friendship, and uh, I uh, I've been blessed. I really have, and I just feel like every day I should, uh, and I want to uh, glorify God in some way. We all touch different people. You see different people than I do, and you do too. So we all we all can be missionaries, so to speak, and be kind to people. And it's amazing when you're kind to people, hey, and they know you're genuine. You're not just doing it to say, hey, I did that. You know, you're genuine. I, my mother raised me right. That you know better than anybody else just because you can play football a little bit better. And uh, always, always be kind to people. And so that's what I've tried to live my life. Be honest. You know, uh, Thomas Sowell said, uh, when you care about yourself, you tell, and you're a politician, you tell people what they want to hear. When you care about them, you tell them the truth. That, that's uh, that's important to always tell the truth. 
that's all I'd like to add is that the Lord's been good to me and uh, I gave my life to him in 68 and uh, didn't mean I stopped doing things but you know they, they would call on me to give the prayer to commission meetings most every time or Irma you know people people can see a difference when you uh, when you're walking with the Lord they can, they can see a difference they can, they can see a difference so I hope I made a difference in, in my life uh, to my family and to my friends and people that I know and love when that day come, what would you like for your tombstone to read? I, I really ha I hadn't thought about that. I'd rather somebody else write it. I mean, what, what they thought that I that I um, meant, you know, to my family and my friends and to the community. I'd rather them write it. Well, <clears throat> I I know I can say that. Uh, I'm just thankful and honored that the Lord put you in my path because there's been a lot of ups and downs, high and lows that we, as, as we traveled uh, through, this, uh, this, through this life that you have to go to and, and endure. But you know, with you being there, it made it a little bit easier and uh, a little bit more comforting because I knew you had my back. I was able, I'm able to call, even to this day, I'm able to call you uh, I'm able to uh, depend on you as if it feels like I'm working on this. What, what you think? If you can help, <laughs> you gonna help. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you've always been there, <clears throat> and uh, and you know, just that just meant means the world to me. For even when you reached out to my daughter, uh, with that same life energy and spirit to offer that kind of support, you know. And, and that's the only that's the only thing I know about you. If anything else, I don't I don't know. I just know you've been the man of honor and dignity and respect. And I've always been there for so many of us, so many young men, <clears throat> and I guess women too. But I'm just speaking for the ones that I know. And you uh, like you when know, I I think I texted you a day or two ago, asked you about doing a you know sitting down doing an interview with you. Well, next day you say, well, which we hear to hear. We now thank you. First of all, thank my, my daughter and I want to thank you for inviting us over here to your lovely home. We out here in the country club, y'all. We we doing it big today. <laughs> 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 so we go, we go, we go. We ending this year all right. We gonna start off with a great New Year's, and we gonna trust that the, the Lord gonna give us some, some more good days and time here where we can enjoy each other a little longer. And where we can have a make a difference, make an impact on other lives as we travel, you know, our daily our daily life and journey. Well, I see you. You've always, uh, even though you've had some ups and downs, as we all have in our lives. You, when when you got back, you you went to work, and you've been trying to help people with your organization past. You're always out there in the community working when you can. And uh, you didn't give up. You didn't go in a hole and hide. You, you, uh, and uh, I always respected you for that because you, you, when you got out of prison, you just you came back and and uh, you knew the people that loved you would stay by you. And uh, I'm glad I could be one of those that loves and admires you for the life you've lived. Ms. Vivian, I think about that day when I was in court and I looked around and I saw you and uh, even Dale Brown, 
you know, Jerry McKernan, you know, those people, my dear friend, Mr. Charlie Granger, and this, I mean, just, when you saw that, when you, when you turn around and no matter what the jury said, what the prosecutor said, <clears throat> I knew I was already, I had been blessed. So whatever come out of this, you know, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be well. And from that day forward, matter of fact, I tell people that the, as much as as bad as it was and rough as it was, uh, the prison, the P R I S O N, allowed the prism P R I S M of light mm. to enlighten me to open my mind, my uh, my understanding. So, as a matter of fact. But I tell people because of the prisons, why count time exists now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you, instead of it being a stumbling block and you just going off the deep end, you came back stronger. And that says a lot for you, you know, for the way you were raised. And you were raised on vegetables. I know that. <laughs> and uh, and you, you, you accepted uh, mentorship from from your coaches and from uh, uh, Jay McKernan, from myself, you know, you, you've always listened, I felt like, and, and, and uh, we're trying to do your very best. But uh, once again, uh, we really thank you, Mr. Fields, for, uh, I know you always tell me to call him Jimmy. Yeah, I, I wish you would call me Jimmy. And I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there soon. I'm gonna, so we I don't wait till it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always had so much respect for you, you, you know, and just, so to call you Jimmy is like is like uh, taking something away, and I know it's not, but that's just in my own little mind. Uh, but because of what what you've done, who you who you've been to me, I mean, from the restaurant days, he rented a building to me by, by off a of, off a of Holler Road. So he always <laughs> he always have looked out for me in so many ways, and your family have always uh, been there. And I just thank you. We thank you for being and participated with count time we thank you for agreeing to sit here and, uh, and, and have a discussion with us today well you asked me to do something if I can do it I'm gonna do it uh, that's how much I respect you and, and you love have. you and and uh, appreciate you well we thank you once again it's 4 p.m. stand up it's count time it's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted amen <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Fields. I appreciate this. Thank you, Lyman. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.